Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2056. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! Today I'm in Los Angeles, California, I think it's the car capital of the world, with a very special guest by the name of Ryan Fisher. Ryan, welcome to Cars Yeah! Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Let's do it. All right, we'll have some fun. Now, before I give you a proper introduction, what's one little thing that maybe people don't know about you, Ryan? Um, Well, probably one thing is that my motivating factor to go to law school was my ability to talk my way out of speeding tickets and legal <laughs> trouble uh, from a young age. So that's something uh, that's my definition of that. So. Okay, well, now you've opened your up because all the listeners have their ears very in tune going, okay, how do I get myself out of a speeding ticket? So if I was going to ask you that question, maybe give us three quick tips on the right way to handle that situation when the blue lights come on and the window goes down. <laughs> I would say number one, try to realize what they saw or did not see. Two, when they walk up to your window, that's your time. Before they, if you give them your driver's license and your registration and they walk away, you're most of the time you're, you gave up all chance right there. Okay. Um, and number three is if it's a, if it's a motorcycle cop, your luck went, your luck got reduced significantly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, what I've learned is, is motorcycle cops, you know, to be a motorcycle cop is a privilege, right? And so they have to maintain, you know, their efficacy and issue a lot of tickets and do a lot of enforcement. And so your chance of of getting away with something is probably reduced. I would think so. And I guess I'll add a fourth. Don't ever try to outrun a cop. You'll lose, right? (laughs) Uh no comment. Okay. Oh, okay. We're not going to go there. <laughs> we'll both get in trouble with that answer, I think. So, uh, yeah. I think I've watched too many bad endings on videos, you know, on YouTube of people that try to do that. So, uh, and I've got friends that are police, you know, just be nice. Just be polite. Don't be rude. That doesn't help at all. Right. And that's, and that's I think, a big part of it, too, is, you know, people get very defensive and usually... You know, you, you get more fly, you get more bees with honey than vinegar, right? Yes. So oh, yeah. oftentimes acknowledging the situation and being friendly and sometimes just fessing up right away is the easiest way to, to try to move things along in a positive way. Um, you know, when people get very it's a problem. Yeah, especially if you know you're going too fast, if that's the case. You know, I've just, a couple of times I've just gone, I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention on my, my apologies. And they've gone, okay, we'll slow down, all right? Yes, sir. Right. Goodbye. So, yeah. So that's uh, right. that's the Mark Green legal advice, which is probably typically worthless because <laughs> I'm not an attorney. So, yeah, listen to Ryan. He can be a lot more help. Well, let me give you a proper introduction. Ryan Fisher is an attorney, as we said, financial advisor and entrepreneur in the automotive world. He's the co-founder of Shift Sector, and that's spelled Shift-S3-C-T-O-R. We'll talk about that later. An automotive racing event company best known for hosting half-mile racing events taking place 
on airport runways, not city streets. Ryan started Shift Sector during his first semester of law school as a fun passion project, and it quickly grew into something much, much larger. Due to its early success, Ryan was able to use his automotive side business and the relationships within it to start his own law practice immediately out of law school, allowing him to grow a professional career while continuing a side hustle fueled by automotive passion. Very well said. We'll be back in just a minute, but first a word from our valued sponsor. So give them a little time and we'll be right back. And keep your seatbelt on and your hands on the wheel. (laughs) See you in a minute. Covercraft has the most complete line of custom seat covers available. Choose between the polycotton seat savers, Endura Precision Fit Custom Seat Covers, Leatherette Precision Fit Custom Seat Covers, and their durable Carhartt Seat Covers. They're all easy to install and remove, and guess what? They're machine washable too. Easy cleanup to make them look brand new. No more worries about the kids spilling on your seats or your pets damaging your expensive upholstery or leather. Covercraft's quality seat covers protect from damaging pet claws, pet fur, hair, mud, moisture, food, drink spills, drool from permanently damaging your vehicle's fine surfaces. Headrest and armrest covers and color options are also available on many of the styles. And I've got a great offer for you. If you use the code YEAH21, Y-E-A-H-21 at Covercraft.com, they'll give you 10% off plus free shipping. That's right, 10% off and free shipping with the code YEAH21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Visit Covercraft.com today. Last year, I changed my collector car coverage to American Collectors Insurance. That's who now protects my Porsche Turbo, the one I call my Orange Crush. But did you know they also insure your valuable collections of automobilia and other collectibles? If you're like me, you've invested in a lot of cool collectibles over the years. Those items are valuable. And if you were to lose them in a theft or a fire, well, try to get your normal homeowner's insurance to pay you what they're worth. Good luck with that. American Collectors Insurance provides you with assurance and confidence that your collectibles are fully covered. They insure a lot of items, including automobilia, wine, baseball cards, books, figurines, die-cast models, model trains, glassware, sports memorabilia, toys, and a whole lot more. American Collectors Insurance, they've been protecting us enthusiasts since 1976. They provide you with an agreed value insurance policy backed by a long history of taking care of their clients. Give them a call today for your personal agreed value quote at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of mine, Mark Rains here at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. That's American Collectors Insurance. So, Ryan, we're back. So I want to uh, dive a little deeper into the world of what you're doing here with Shift Sector, because it's interesting. You went down this path of being a lawyer, an attorney, and hopefully helping some people get out of trouble that maybe did some things they shouldn't have done, or maybe they didn't. We'll leave it at that. But then you got into this Shift Sector deal. So how, how did this all come about? So it's ironic that, you know, what we provide is a safe, controlled place to essentially race your car and test its limits, but it all started from a bunch of street racers. Mm, <laughs> and yeah. So back when I was a teenager, you know, cars were always my life and my passion and what I tried to, you know, spend every dollar on. And, you know, we'll, we'll get into to my path of cars, but long story short, when I was young, I always had 
cars that were probably faster than I should have had. <laughs> and mostly of my own doing. And because of that, you know, I befriended and, and got connected with a lot of older guys with fast cars. When I was 17, I had a C5 Corvette. Whoa, at 17? <laughs> yeah. So long story short, I, I guess we'll just go through the history. <laughs> so, um, you know, when I, when I was young, I've always been obsessed with cars and getting my license and and everything surrounding automotive. And, you know, my dad, who, who was a financial advisor for, he's been the last 50 years, you know, he's always plucked my mind open to investing your money, having it work for you from a very, very young age. Mm -hmm. And when I was young, you know, I worked out a deal with my parents where I said, listen, I don't need the latest go-karts and skateboards and playstations and tvs i was like just put money in my car account that i'm trying to invest so i have a cool car when i'm older <laughs> things like that just over time kind of started to build and then when i finally turned 16 i you know was driving my dad's older chevy tahoe around until i could kind of come up with the funds for a first car my parents basically said hey well we'll split you know we'll split it with you what you've saved up we'll match it and we'll try to find something and then this is probably 2004, something like that, 2003, I saved up about 10 grand, wow. you know, and they were like, okay, well, you, so you can have about 10, here's another 10 grand, you, you got to go find some. And I decided on, I found a, a B5 Audi S4. I don't know if you remember the, yes, the twin much. turbo all-wheel oh, yeah. drive. Yeah. yeah. Cool so car. at the time, you know, most people, you know, like who were kind of looking in that space where, you know, I had kids in high school who had WRXs and different things like that. And I was like, I don't want that. I want something different. There was something about the B5S4 I thought was very understated and interesting. And so I searched on Auto Trader. I found a car just under 20,000 and drove that for, you know, a year. And during high school, I was actually working as a valet at a hotel. And so every paycheck, I'm just shoving it into my pocket. And trying to say, okay, you know, this will, I'm going to mob the car and do all these things. And of course, as a car guy, your attention span for cars is very short. <laughs> and so I started saying, oh, well, you know, I bought this car for, you know, 1819 and, you know, I've saved up a couple thousand more. Like, oh, you know, what could we do? What else is out there? And I got set on, at the time, a brand new 05 Mustang GT. I don't know why I was in this Mustang phase and I was like, oh, I'm going to throw nitrous at it and do all these things. And I went to the Ford dealership to look at one and they had a yellow C5 Z06 Corvette sitting there for like $26,500 or something. And I'm like, that's not that, that, that seems very cheap for that car. And I started researching kind of like the C5s and C5Z06s and realizing that these cars that in 2000 and 2001 were $60,000 cars yeah. are now significantly less. And so kind of the same deal. Like I started hunting and searching and looking on Craigslist and going through all these things. And I, I found a car that a guy had to get rid of and I ended up picking up. I, I see it silver C5Z06 for like $22,000 hmm, and, you know, basically just sold my Audi and got his Corvette. And of course I, I, you know, I'm, I'm now like a senior in high school and I'm driving this car and everyone 
you know, the, the default is everyone, oh, you know, look at this rich kid with his brand new $80,000 Corvette and, you know, not obviously understanding what it is and the value of what it really is and right. that this wasn't just some blind purchase. But I didn't care. I said, listen, I know what this is. I know what it's worth. I know, you know, you, the, you, the, the Volkswagen Jetta that you just, your dad bought you brand new is actually probably more expensive than this car. So that's fine. You could take it. It's way more expensive. And anywho, so then, of course, that was never enough. So I started hunting on the, the, the forums and Corvette forum, and I found a used D1 Pro Charger kit for sale that someone had sold. Meanwhile, I'm still working as a valet and, you know, getting all this tip money and trying to, you know, save it up to do more things to, to make my short story long. <laughs> uh, at this point, I had a pro charged C5 D06 when I was pretty young. And so it was, you know, about a 500 wheel horsepower, 3,100 pound Corvette. So I would go to cars and coffees and I, and I started meeting some of these guys that, you know, invited me into groups that say, Hey, we're going to meet up on Saturday mornings. We meet up around 4.30 in the morning on the toll roads in Irvine, and we just do some races, and, you know, we have a good time. And 17-year-old me, who thought I was the fastest, you know, car around, got humbled real quick uh, <laughs> by people that actually had fast cars. And, yeah, and that's a whole that's a whole other world. But that, that group of people is, is actually who be, I, I became close with, and my business partner Jason who I started everything with he, we met through those early morning meetups when he had a, a 911 turbo and I had my Corvette and we were you know doing street races with this big group of guys and so we just said hey we should do something with it you know like we should find a better place to do this and a safer place to do this and how cool would it be if we could just have them all there on one day and have one crazy event and that's kind of what got the wheels turning real early, but it, it, it all stemmed from, from that stuff. Yeah. Well, with you, what you guys do at shift sector. So how does this all work? Do you have a website where people go and sign up and then you, you rent or lease a space where people can go. And like you said, to, to get off public roads and get into a safer environment definitely is where you want to be. So is that how this works? And is it in the Los Angeles area where you live? So essentially, kind of how it started was we actually rented Willow Springs Raceway and decided to use the front straightaway to roll race on, which no one had done before. Okay. And then after that, cars were so fast that we said, we need, to, we need something with more stretch of road or stretch of tarmac. And that's what led us to airports. And then we started going down that road. And, tw and back in 2011 was our first event. And now it's obviously snowballed. And so now we have a set season. Different years potentially have certain venues pop up or change because, you know, these facilities might have construction or that we might find a new location and things like that. But essentially you go to our website, which is airstripattack.co, and you can see the events, register for the events. And then, you know, we announce them essentially as soon as we book it for the prior season. And you can essentially see, okay, here are the event dates. You can sign up for one event. You can sign up for all events. And right now, um, our current season, well, we just had our first event, which was in South Texas. We have an Indiana event, a Kansas event, and then a North Texas event. For many years, I've had a California event in Central California, but that venue right now is repaving their runways. And so that, that event's on hold. But so right now we have Texas, 
Kansas, Indiana, and we have a couple other ones we're working on to hopefully bring on for next year. Wow. So this thing is really, really blown up and expanded nationwide. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, we've done events. We have had some longstanding events in Colorado and Oregon and some other states as well that we've kind of been at the mercy of COVID and events and facilities and the FAA. And so there's a lot of politics and moving pieces that allow us to have these events and secure them. And sometimes it's it's not the same as it was the year before. And that's yeah. a constant way. It's anything we, ha- we, we are faced with and have to pivot around. Wow. Well, really impressive uh, how you've grown this thing from uh, wanting to have fun with cars into providing a venue for people to have a, a somewhat, well, very much safer, obviously, than road, road racing and street stuff to go out and have fun and be around other people and see what their cars can do and all that. So that is that is really cool. Is, is there a, a driving inspiration or a mentor, uh, uh, someone who's been influential in your life that uh, carried you on to this this type of a business from from law to this? I know. Um, and actually, it was actually from this to law in a way because we had events up and running and I was essentially legal counsel for my racing business while I was in law school, still learning and still, oh my gosh, you know, wow. building my brain around that. But as far as kind of, you know, a mentorship or anything like that, not specific to the automotive world, really. I mean, this was cars have always been my passion, which is you know, trickled down likely from my one of my grandfathers was super into cars. He passed away when I was pretty young. But yeah, but as far as a you know, a mentor, you know, in business, you know, my my father has always been one who's opened my eyes to opportunity and, you know, trying to follow your passions and, and do something with, you know, your time. And for me that's always kind of sad with me. And even though my father isn't a big car person or has any racing or event experience. But, you know, I've always kind of had that mindset of, you know, looking for opportunity and look where you're spending your time and how you're spending your time. And what I realized was in my off time, what was I doing? I was watching videos of cars racing and I was going to car events and I was looking on, you know, car forums on how I can make my cars faster. And so it kind of segued into, well, what can I do with this, right? I'm spending time looking at car stuff and doing this stuff anyways. Maybe we can focus this to building something or doing something. And right. it, it didn't really, yeah, it was never, oh, I'm going to go build a business. It was never that at all. It was more of just, I'm doing this anyways. What, what, what can we do with it? Yeah, and surround yourself with like-minded people. I think it's a tremendous concept and idea, really, really fun. And it's a great example of, of how that entrepreneurial mind that your father had and that opportunistic mind that he had really trickled down to your brain and said, well, you know, I'm already having fun doing this. Why don't I create a little business around it? And boom, <laughs> it grew and grew. And now it's, now it's not so little. So this is really, really fun. Yeah. We're going to take a short break and thank our sponsors. And we come back, I want to talk about uh, perhaps a big challenge, obstacle Ask all my guests this. I uh, get some interesting responses, so keep that in mind, and we'll be right back. You listeners know that I'm a huge car care fanatic, and my friends at AutoGeek created their Wolfgang Deep Gloss Paint Sealant for perfectionists like you and me. Wolfgang a Deep Gloss Paint Sealant is designed to provide long-lasting protection and a glossy, slick finish that, well, it's unmatched. The use of polymer technology ensures your paint is protected from environmental contaminants, those damaging UV rays, and lasts up to three months long. By providing the glossy look of carnauba wax with the longevity of a synthetic formula, 
Wolfgang Deep Gloss Paint Sealant is the best of both worlds. Go to autogeek.net to get yours for the best product selection on the internet today, along with their skilled technical support. Autogeek.net is where I go for all my detailing needs. That's autogeek.net. I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual, informed, reasoned opinion based on first-hand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions, ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code CARS yeah when you subscribe and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. 20, 50, or 100 years from now, will there be a workforce to care for the collector vehicles we love? With auto shop programs disappearing across the country, it's a question we enthusiasts have to ask. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these vehicles aren't lost to time. One of the many ways RPM, which is short for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship, is accomplishing this goal is through workforce development initiatives. The RPM Apprenticeship Program enables the next generation of artisans to earn a living while they learn the craft of restoring and preserving these vehicles directly from industry professionals. The Endangered Skills Program documents the process of masters training future craftspeople on a variety of critical skills in danger of being lost forever. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of the collector vehicle skills trade, visit RPM Foundation today. They're one of the charities of choice here on Cars Yeah! So let's talk about this, Ryan. Big challenge, big failure, something that you've come up against. But more important, what was that really valuable learning lesson that it taught you? Yeah, I think, you know, being being not only in the events business, but creating events that have really never been built before. So, you know, our, our creation in the sense of half-mile racing was new. You know, it was just something that we kind of decided on that seemed to simulate what we were doing on the street. Because of that, there's no playbook, right? So for us, we had to figure out, oh, well, how do we rent these airports? How do we negotiate with them? How, you know, what do we have to deal with with the FAA, with insurance, with all these things who have never heard or seen or done anything about yeah, what we're Yeah, doing. you want to do what? With my airport? Huh? And and that that was its own learning process and learning curve and still is constantly moving. But, you know, one of our big obstacles is, you know, kind of outside influence on these airport facilities because you have the cities, you have tenants in the, in the hangars that see you as, oh, you are, these guys are coming onto our property. You have the FAA who governs these airports. So there's been, a, honestly, a handful of moments where we've had to dig our heels in and learn and, and fix a problem that we maybe we didn't even anticipate. But I would say one of the big ones, um, as an example, was 
you know, we were, we've been hosting our event in Central California in the city of Cholinga at their airport since 2012 is when we started doing events at that location. And we would do two to three events a year there. And this is a city with a population of 10,000 who really didn't really have much going on there. It's very agriculture. And, you know, for us, we started hosting these events and not only bringing revenue to the city, but we would incorporate high, the high school volunteer organizations so that they could raise revenue by helping manage our parking and doing ah, things at the cool. event yeah. that then would go into their budgets for their proms and their, their different things and activities. Long story short, you know, we the event started as, hey, we just want to rent the facility and do our own thing. And it's just our own private thing. Then we started allowing spectators and we started incorporating local businesses. Then we started, you know, doing a lot more with the community. And several years ago, this was probably 2018 or so, before one of our events, essentially, the FAA sent a letter and said, hey, we're not in support of you doing this event anymore, and so you can't proceed with this. No, it's no reason why, just basically said, yeah, you know, sorry, you guys can't do this anymore. And our response is, we looked at this and we said, okay, well, why? So... Essentially, they kind of gave us the cold shoulder. And, you know, I think there was one complaint by somebody who had no affiliation with the the airport or the event and that we thought it might have been a competitor or someone trying to brain on the parade a little bit. But what we had to do is say, okay, well, this is, to be honest, and at the time was our most frequent event. It was our most profitable event. It's something we'd had built over years and years and years and, you know, was probably 50 to 60% of our revenue and something that we were contributing to to the community. And the city was, was generating a lot of tourism. They're generating money. They're generating good press. There's so many positive things about this. And so what we had to do is build a case. We had to basically make the FAA aware saying, Hey, look, you need to realize what you're shutting down. This isn't just some random thing that happens every once in a while. We ran all the financials and we're like, this, this, this city brings in a quarter million dollars every weekend we have an event. Wow, between all use of the facilities, hotel rooms booked, restaurants, fuel, all these things. You have thousands of people coming into town for one weekend that wouldn't normally be there, especially wow. on an airport that gets very low use. And it was, so we had the mayor sign off, the city manager write letters, you know, we had local businesses write letters, the hotel that we book out all 85 rooms every weekend, you know, management and the owners of the hotel wrote letters, and we basically put this big submission together and sent it back to them and said, you need to realize what you're shutting down, look at all of this. And then... Then they basically turned around and said, okay, fine, we can keep doing it. Well, I think you, you probably hit the nail on the head, but probably one little person who what didn't have like something that happened and made a big deal out of this. And some bureaucrat sitting at her desk goes, why are we driving race cars on an airport? That doesn't make sense. Ah, let's just nix this. Next. And they, they had no idea. You said the right word. You had to build a case. You had to help them understand the value. And I think once you start talking to bureaucrats about raising tax dollars and revenue for businesses, their ears perk up really fast. Right. And, and, and that's the thing too, right? It's like the benefits outweighing the, the cons here, right? So right. It's, to me, it's like, you know, yes, of course, there's 
risk and there's liability, but nothing like nothing has triggered that. Nothing has happened. You know, mm-hmm. we, we have safety protocol. We have we run a really tight ship. And for it to just, you know, be taken away just because, like you said, some someone who's you know just works for the government who just sees this and says, it's a lot easier for me to just to say no than to look into this further. Well, the great lesson I heard here, Ryan, is don't give up, is, uh, you know, create a great case. And also the other great thing I heard you say was create a venue that adds value to other people. Not just lines your pockets, but it adds value to the community, to other people, bringing schools in, creating tax dollars. I mean, all these different pieces. I've had so many people on the show that run Concor events and events. And these bring in huge amounts of dollars for for areas. They raise money for charities, for groups, and so forth. And that's what a lot of people don't realize with car events. And they almost all do that. So I think uh, it's great what you created there. Now, I always ask my my guests about a special vehicle story. You kind of already shared that at the beginning with that Corvette that you talked about. I'm still trying to imagine what your insurance was like at that age driving a car like that. But maybe that's another, another question for another day. But yeah, is there a, another vehicle? that's been really special for you that you'd like to share a story about that ride? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, my, I, I've had a, like I said, a, a very short attention span for cars for many years. And, you know, I've always tended to lean towards American muscle. I've had Audis and I've had Porsches and I've had things, but that, that C5 Corvette I had that I daily drove to school when I went to UC Santa Barbara and would drive back and forth from Orange County to Santa Barbara <laughs> was definitely, I think, a, a pivotal time for me. But my dream car was always the Ford GT. The 0506 Ford GT to me was always the dream car because I remember when that car came out in you know 2005 and going to the local Ford dealership and seeing this thing and you know hearing people murmur, "Oh, who's going to pay 140 thousand dollars for a Ford?" Yeah, now they're you half <laughs> I know. And, uh, and, you know, that was just something I, I always kind of lusted over and just thought was, you know, there's just something so cool about that car. And then learning the history, you know, with Le Mans and the original, the, the original Ford GT and obviously now Ford versus Ferrari, everyone now knows that story, which right. has been a story for, you know, since then, but most people didn't know that that's what happened and mm-hmm. the history behind it. And so my goal, I, you know, I set this goal very, Young was like, I just really want to get a Ford GT. That is the ultimate American muscle iconic car to me. Yeah. So that was always the goal. And, you know, I was building my career and, you know, racing and been doing these events. And I learned to kind of flip cars and I started buying and selling cars. I would find uh, something that seemed undervalued, buy, drive for a while, sell it, make a couple bucks, roll that into the next one. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of ping ponged my way over the years into nicer and nicer cars. And I watched the values on the Ford GTs run up and then kind of soften. Mm-hmm. And this is probably 2018. I remember when there were, you know, black, because I, I always wanted a black nose stripe car. There was something so sinister about an all black Ford GT with no stripes, just blacked out. Mm-hmm. It was just so mean. I remember seeing videos of them and I'm just like, oh my God, that is the coolest car in the world. And it became this like motivate motivation for me, like to get that car. And as I watched the values on that, I'm like, it's, it's all, it's not only a car, but it's also an investment for, and up until recently, that was the explanation for most cars. Most cars were depreciating assets. You would never put your money in a car as an investment ever. Right. Yeah. 
now I, I if you're anywhere in the car world or automotive world, you know that that boy has that changed. Oh gosh. And so I you know, I followed the market on these cars for a long time and you know, I remember watching them in twenty eighteen start to go down. I remember seeing cars like, you know, they get listed at lower and lower and lower prices and still well, you know, way more expensive than they were new, but the gap was was shrinking. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know what, if I can move some money around, if I can sell some cars, if I can finance in the right way I might be able to scrounge to get one of these. And and if I do, I should be okay. You know, maybe it won't go up in value, but it probably won't go down in value. So, you know, if I can just get into one, it, it, it might be okay. Yeah. So I got on that train and I started hunting and talking with people I knew and brokers. And, you know, after a bunch of research, I found a car oh, cool. in my, at a dealership in Miami. And at the time I had a, a 911 GT3 uh, 991 generation mm -hmm. that I was trying to sell to get into that car. And long story short, I, I, I couldn't get rid of it, but you know, because you know, it was a paint a sample signal green, really special car. And at the time I couldn't get rid of it. Now, oh, now you know yeah. what that car, that car is now that oh, car, the same lot. car is probably worth $50,000 more than what, than what I, I sold it for. But anyways, I, so I was actually, trying to sell it to get into another car I found, another black no-stripe GT I found at a dealership, and actually this was in New York. And I couldn't sell the, the GT3 to get into it. And then another car popped up on eBay at a dealership in Miami. And I called the dealership in Miami, and I said, I don't even want to grind you on the price. I, I think it's priced very well, but can you take my Porsche in on trade? And, and, and they kind of, you know, were like, let's look at the numbers. Let's, you know, look at it. And they, they said, okay, you know, we can, we can do something here. So it took a month just between the time we agreed on the deal because they're like, well, we want you to send your car here first so we can see it and do everything before then we package up the other car and send that back to you. So it ended up taking a couple months or like a little over a month to do this deal with all these, these moving parts and it all ended up working out. And then I got the car. I got the dream car. Very cool. So to me now, and that car now is, is like my child and, <laughs> you know, and of course having watched the value since then, right. It's probably worth almost twice as much as what I paid for it. And I didn't think it would do anything like that, right? No, but none of us thought that the market would do what it's doing right now. I, I don't. I, I scratch my head at what's going on in the market right now. I, I got to ask you the question: since you're in this world of buying and selling, what is going on? Like, why are <laughs> it? What's going on with the money factor? I know there's a lot of there's a lot of money flying around out there. Yeah, and I, I mean, I you know, I mean, I'm not a dealer. You know, mine is just passion buying and selling. Try to watch the market, see what cars are trading for now and I am and I know you've had a lot of guests that you know just deal in this and this right. is their life and, and I know you've had some guests on from bring a trailer and things like that and mm -hmm. I, I genuinely feel like bring a trailer now has become this de facto place to look at comps that any single person can go and look at before you know you would need a dealer license look at the Mannheim numbers and you know try to see what cars are really selling for and now there's this transparency of seeing what some of these cars are going for. So anyone can be like, oh, well, you know, I want to buy this car. Let's go look on Bring a Trailer. Let's see what some of them have sold for. And you can start to piece together 
the value and, you know, put yourself in a position there. But, you know, back to your question of what's going on, I think it's a combination of, I mean, I think it's a combination of during COVID, people realized that they, they couldn't do all the things they wanted to do. They couldn't travel. They couldn't spend money on all these things. And so they had a surplus of, of money sitting around. Mm-hmm. Plus, you have people getting stimulus money. You have businesses getting forgivable loans, you know, that they may, may or not even need, but they're being offered. And even if it wasn't forgivable, it's at a 1% interest rate. You know, you could get an economic impact disaster loan at a 1% interest rate, which is, you know, unheard of. So I think a combination of that stuff and then also spurred, I think, some panic buying because there's certain cars that just started appreciating so fast. And I think people were like, oh, well, I've always wanted that. I need to get it because it's going to be too expensive. And it's just, yeah. Yeah, You know, I, I think that's a part of it, but I also think there's a whole nother layer of it that I don't even understand. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a, like that, it's a big know. crystal ball. And well, I'm glad you, you got it when you did, because you're right now, uh, these, these cards have become unobtainium uh, for mo- most folks, at least for me. And you just kind of shake your head and go, wow, I'm never going to be able to get one of those now because it's just gone crazy. So it's good that you're out there shopping. That was the lesson learned there is if you can do it, do it, because you might not be able to. And we've seen these these curves go down. We've seen dips. Saw it in the Porsche market. I happened in 2014-15 where things went down like, oh, yep. shoot, I blew it. I should have sold it. But of course, now that market is insane. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a, out of control. It, it's out of, yeah, it's a crazy world. How about a great yeah. reading? Is there a great book that you'd like to share with us, either car or business book, since you're a business person? Um, yeah, I mean, I think actually it's, it's funny. Uh, uh, Tony Watley, who was on your show yeah. a while back, who's a, yeah. a friend of mine. So his, his book, Side, Side Hustle Millionaire. Millionaire. Yep. And I'm sure it's been suggested before is, is, is a really great book. It really is. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I obviously wear a couple of different hats, but on the, the legal side of things, what I primarily do is help people start businesses. You know, I do a lot of entity formation and contracts and business affairs and things like that. And, you know, cause I think it's, it's a very positive thing. And I think people become very overwhelmed or think there's so much risk or so much time to start something. And the reality of it is not, you know, there's not, and then of course it depends what it is. You know, if you want to go open a brick and mortar location of something, yeah, there's, there's a lot of cost involved, but nowadays, I mean, look, I mean, you know, podcasts, you know, like our event business, like we just build it around one event and we got the money first. We said, this is what we're trying to do. Here's the registration fee. Mm-hmm. And most of the bills weren't due until after the event, right? And that was, there was some risk there. But I just think in the age we're in, there, there's so many opportunities to be able to start something small and see how it goes before, yeah. you know, having to dump your life savings into it or quit your day job or, and I think real, Tony really nails it on the head there because he was a prime example of that. Really, really so. It's a great book. I've gotten a copy. In fact, he's doing right now a, a seminar where he's going to invite us 50 people to come down to Mexico. They're going to spend like a, a four or five day event down there where it's a combination of enjoying a resort, but also he's got speakers there. Um, yeah, Tony's done a great job. So uh, Side Hustle Millionaire. In fact, I've shared his book with several people, bought extra copies and so forth. So check it out. I'll put a list of uh, or this book, a link to it on Ryan's show notes page on the Cars website so you can check it out. 
out. Very, very cool. Oh, last question before I let you go here today is I always uh, offer to pay to take somebody on the ultimate drive, meaning you can pick any car, you can be driving anywhere, and you can be with anybody living or deceased. Now, you've already got your ultimate car, but uh, maybe there's something else that you want to reach even higher. I'm not sure how you could go higher than a Ford GT. They're so cool. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I've driven those cars. I've driven those, and I've driven one on the track, and it's a very sweet oh, car. Amazing. But you better be careful because that thing will bite you. It's got no traction control. So be careful with the right foot and the brake as well. So what does the ultimate drive look like for you? Yeah, I mean, that's that's an interesting one that I, that I put some time into thinking about because, you know, there, there's so many ways, different ways to go with it. And for me, you know, like I, I'm not one to really lean on celebrities or be starstruck or anything like that. And I think for me, I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm a believer in more like personal connection and, you know, to spend time with people that you maybe didn't get the opportunity to spend time with or as much time with. And I think... You know, if it were me, to both of my grandfathers on both both my parents' sides, you know, passed away when I was I was young. And on my mom's side, he was a big car guy. And there's pictures of me standing on, you know, a clat like you know, like a seventies Rolls Royce bench seat when I'm like two years old, kind of bouncing around and clearly I was getting into that at such a young age. And so if it were up to me, I would probably do a McLaren F one. And the reason being is because it's a three-seater. You could put a grandpa on each side. That's a great idea. So, I, <laughs> so I'd be able to have both my grand, grandfathers on yeah. each side. Wow. And to me, that is an unobtainable car. <laughs> well, of course. Yeah, yeah they become, yeah, talk about so, another car that was expensive to begin with, but they couldn't even really sell them at first. And now they become the new generation GTO. So, yeah. Right. And so to me, I, I, would, do, I, would, do, I would have a McLaren F1 with both of my grandfathers and a nice stretch, you know, from from PCH out in Malibu to Ventura. That's something because that's a stretch that I I do enjoy. And mm-hmm. so that I think would be the ultimate drive. And I mean, yeah, maybe if Carol Shelby could squeeze in there too, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> that'd be um, a tight fit. <laughs> But that, that that would probably be mine. Maybe pick him up on the way back. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty <laughs> cool thought, and uh, obviously an insane car. So I love it. You've taken us on a wild ride today. I kind of thought that would happen with you, Ryan. Before I let you go, could you share maybe a, a success quote or some words of inspiration for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I think just like you said, you just do it. I think a lot of people hesitate and are afraid to break off on their own or try something new or follow something that they're passionate about and. You know, the truth is, is, you know, if it, if you love what you do, then you wouldn't, won't work a day in your life, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I really on a daily basis try to, to push people to come up with a plan. You know, if you want to be your own boss, you want to follow your passion and maybe find a way to, you know, generate income from it and, and, and enjoy it. You know, even if it just pays for your hobby, you know, it, there's pride in, so, you know, I always try to push people on trying it. Yeah, just give it Take a try. Take steps to, to, to do it. Yeah. yeah, we've never lived, I think, in a time ever in the history of mankind that there aren't so many opportunities to do these kind of things. And you look at all the different ways people have figured out ways to create and generate business and income doing what they love, and it just keeps growing and growing. So uh, there you go. Ryan's figured it out. I've figured it out. Uh, a whole lot of other people have figured it out as well. How can people learn more about Shift Sector? 
So probably the easiest way is, you know, follow us on social media at Shift Sector, all one word, but the E is the three. You know, airshipattack.co has our schedule and everything. My partner, Jason Huang, he actually has really taken the reins last year and this year, and, and he basically handles all the day-to-day now. And so he answers every call, you know, any email that comes through, you know, whether it's questions about the events or racing or sponsoring, so he's really, really killed it in running with things. So, like I said, social media or our website, you know, we can always get in touch with us. I'll put links to those on Ryan's show notes page. And I want to do a shout out. Thank you to a past Cargia guest, a mutual friend of ours, Roy Rath, for introducing me to Ryan. Uh, no doubt he's the guy that builds a monster killer car. So, Roy, thank you very much. Ryan, hey, this is an awesome story. Love what you're doing. Really, really cool. I want to thank you for sharing your experience with us today. Until you and I talk again. I usually say we'll see you down the road, but maybe we'll see you at a racetrack or at an airstrip going real fast. (laughs) Sounds like Sounds good to me. All right. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!